Welcome to the Crypto Campfire. They're as versatile as Mr. Potato Head, Mitch and the Professor. Featuring special guest, Alex Kenny. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Campfire Podcast. This is the Professor. And Mitch. And today we're going to be talking with Alex Kinney. But before we start talking to him, let's grab that crypto news from the Crypto Gen. Thanks, Professor. Hello, Crypto Campfire listeners, and welcome to the Cryptocurrency News in a flash with the Crypto Gent, world's biggest publicly traded hedge fund firm, defends Bitcoin. Ledger promises funds insurance as client data leak expands, and Bitcoin and altcoins are sitting up for their next move above $35,000, we hope. That's our Cryptocurrency News in a flash with the Crypto Gent, and it's back to you, Professor. Thanks a lot, Crypto Gent. This one's kind of a special one. A little bit. Yeah. Got a little, little of a sort of a relation to our campfire coordinator, and she may or may not know that. We know. But, uh, that we know that she knows that we don't know that thinks we don't know. She keeps calling him a surprise <laughs> guest, but we have right. in the research department. So you know, <laughs> we dug deep. Dug deep. Dug deep. We know, we know who's, who's who and what's what. And you can't hide else. anything from hippie nerd. Not a chance. <laughs> not a fucking chance. No. Nope. So this one's going to be exciting. I'm totally stoked about this. Let's just jump right in. Hell yeah, let's do it. Oh yeah, Alex, what's going on, man? Welcome How's to the show. How's it going? Good. Glad to be here. It's good to Thanks have you. On. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to be here as well. So it sounds cool. like we have a lot to talk about. You've, uh, you've got quite a bit of knowledge in the blockchain space. We've got uh, a project that you're working on called Slips, um, gaming championship, sort of specifically tailored towards Rocket League, it sounds like. And, yeah. uh, and there's a lot going on in the space that we're going to talk about too. So, But before we get into all that, let's take a step back and look at how you got into crypto in the first place. Where did you actually discover it and what part of it got you hooked? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So, you know, I the first time I had heard about cryptocurrency or Bitcoin in general was I, I read an article in Rolling Stone, I think it was in 2011. Um, they did an expose on the Silk Road and I was an undergrad at this point. Um, and I, I remember reading this article and just being like, what is this whole thing going on? And going and taking a look at Bitcoin, I was like, seven dollars like who's gonna spend seven dollars on this like you know ephemeral you know technology like that seems so expensive and yeah of course hindsight's 2020 at this point so you know i i i looked at it and i was like oh okay this is kind of neat like you know but i didn't really take a look again until um the run-up in mount gox whenever it at first passed like over 1000 i was like i remember that bitcoin you know i remember reading about that and hearing about it at the time, whenever I had revisited this, I was actually in between undergrad and my graduate program. And it was right before the, you know, Mark Kavaz went off with all the money. And, you know, so they, um, <laughs> I, I revisited it and I watched it collapse. And I remember just being like, okay, this is kind of cool. So, you know, fast forward, I, I applied to my PhD program. And when I got to, grad school here at the University of Arizona, I actually came across Litecoin. I was like, you know, it seemed like I was like, oh, I missed the boat on Bitcoin, but this is really interesting technology. It's really developing. And I looked into trying to use my uh, laptop to mine Litecoins, which was, I definitely missed the boat on that because I was going to fry my graphics card if I, <laughs> if I kept it up. 
but um but yeah i got caught most worthwhile graphics card frying right can. exactly for like what point one litecoin probably or something yeah. like that but yeah so i i it was it was about that time that i really started to look deeper into technology and it was probably 2014 um and i really got caught up in this in in the idea of uh, the, the idea of provably fair transactions, but the global nature of it all. I thought it was really incredible how you could send, you know, you could send a financial transaction across the world in such a short period of time. And I, you know, I got, at the time the community was a lot smaller and everything. And I was like, this is fascinating. So I, I started perusing Reddit and started getting involved in Facebook groups and this is before, you know, Bitcoin cash and all this stuff. And everything seemed to be a lot more, uh, I don't know, a lot more homogenous, you know, ideologically in terms of like, you know, this is a lot of potential, but nobody really knows where it's going to go. So that's sort of how I got into it. And, uh, you know, I bought, I started buying Bitcoin a little bit on Coinbase and it was a great time to start buying because it was still kind of falling out from Mt. Gox around that time. And, um, you know, wrote it all the way down to the 100s range and <laughs> enjoyed it there. But yeah, I mean, in terms of that's sort of how I spawned my interest. Nice, nice. It's been up and down. This is definitely not your first rodeo. And it's cool to see that you kind of got hooked by the tech side of it too, because um, a, a lot of people are just uh, absorbed by the market, which that was kind of the same reason I got into it at first was, was the markets, you know, it was about the money. And then I realized there was so much more behind it and started to learn what blockchain was. And it was, you know, a shift there in the mindset. But um, a lot of people don't e either never reach that point where they start seeing how the tech works and getting excited about it, or um, they just come in straight for the money and it takes them a long time to get there. So it's cool to see that. Now I want to ask you, so, so if you're getting your PhD in sociology right now, is 2020 like the ultimate like test case for you right now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my, I, it's interesting. My work, the work that I do now um, is, I mean, I still, you know, do a little bit of research around uh, cryptocurrency, but I actually work on the commercial cannabis industry is, uh, is where I'm at. And, and, you know, and well, some of the things about crypto and how uh, it can aid, you know, banking issues is, is, is one of the reasons why I got into this space. But, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, a variety of things regarding, I mean, my, my general interest in you know, semi-legal financial instruments and semi-legal markets, they kind of dovetail together. So that's, that's sort of how 2020 has been pretty crazy for a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Cause I was referring, you know, even more sort of outside of the crypto space, you know, just in, I know sociology is a massive like field. There's so many, it's so broad, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but sort of like the way that the coronavirus and the whole social interaction world has been turned upside down and, um, you know, if you're in the cannabis industry side, I'm sure there's some some uh, trickle down from that based on, you know, the psychological effects of, uh, you know, the common nature of THC and stuff like that combined with the, possibly the worst mental year that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I mean, it's I think that there's there's been a lot of uh, opportunities, I think, for sociology to, to contribute. And since it is, like you said, such a broad, you know, it's such a broad discipline that I definitely think that uh, social science has a lot to say about, you know, how to understand what's going on, but also maybe how to dig ourselves out of this mess, both, you yeah, know, totally. in an economic sense and just like, you know, getting back to normal. <laughs> I always ask people what use cases they're excited about other than cryptocurrency. And they always end up telling me cryptocurrency. <laughs> so <laughs> you kind of started to talk a little bit about how blockchain can affect that industry. 
What are your thoughts on alternate use cases outside of currencies that are going to be beneficial with blockchain? I think that the the elephant in the room is obviously banking. I mean, people are, are it's still a cash-based industry, but, you know, in terms of blockchain applications, I, I, I really do see that this will be a global market at some point. I mean, you know, the United States is was the driver of prohibition across the world with cannabis, but eventually it, it's not unreasonable to expect that uh, commercial cannabis will span across the world and that there will be different, you know, supply chain issues going on. And blockchain will be a really important application to figuring out how to, uh, you know, do fair transactions, especially as, you know, more peripheral countries get involved in this space that are, you know, trying to get and, you know, revise their own policies, but also to make sure that there's less exploitation, I think, in transaction and transacting. So I definitely think that the, you know, the ability to, um, you know, have provably fair contracts is going to be really an important application aside from just being able to globally transact, um, you know, effortlessly. So, so like you have your work life and you have your school life and, you know, you, you have your basically everyday day-to-day stuff, right? Where do you put your passion or where do you find yourself as far as your passion towards cryptocurrency? Do you, do you find yourself like, um, other people we know that are like uber passionate about the tech and about the communities, or are you just like kind of going with the flow and, and learning a little bit more every time you get every chance you get? Well, it's really, int- I mean, to me, it's really interesting because this, this whole long standing crypto winter that we've been stuck in for a while now has really, two and a half years. Got, yeah. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's really, uh, caused me to reevaluate and reflect, I guess, on, on what, interested me because I think that getting caught up in the fervor of, of the market side of things in 2017 and stuff, it, it, there was definitely a period where I was like, all right, I'm definitely gonna be able to retire early, you know? Right. <laughs> and I think that, you know, in hindsight, I've started to actually think a lot more about utility. Um, and, and I'm more interested, I think now in the utility aspect of it, which, you know, at some point we could talk about slips, but that's sort of how I got involved with this project that I'm, I've been working with recently is that I, I'm, I'm really interested in actual applications of cryptocurrency disrupting technologies as opposed to how we saw the ICO boom and, and a lot of vaporware and a lot of things that were promised and have yet to be delivered. And I mean, I think that people, I think that's the next stage in my opinion is, okay, that cryptocurrency is maybe not a requirement to achieving a goal, but offers an advantage that other alternative avenues don't hold is sort of where I'm at and why cryptocurrency is really still held my interest. And, and I think that there's a lot of opportunities there for cryptocurrency to have value propositions that are not necessarily a requirement, but people are just attracted to them because they're either more efficient or um, cheaper or a better solution than something else would offer. That's a good way of putting it. I, I like how you structured all that. That was a good answer. Good answer. <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's talk about getting family into crypto. So you you got your mom into crypto, yes? I did. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come did. to be? I mean, so she she's gone. She's incredible. Like, for for anybody listening, we're talking about Becca. I make lemonade, aka the campfire coordinator, who is always on top of making sure that we're almost on time for podcasts gets our guests booked and, and 
is just constantly talking about crypto. Probably one of the biggest crypto advocates I know. Absolutely. So thank you for that. Number one. <laughs> and number two, tell us about how that happened. Like how long into your journey into crypto did this happen? And was it a fight or did she, was she pretty receptive to it right away? You know, I mean, the one thing I can say about my mom is that she's always been uh, excited and quick to support, you know, my interests, no matter how harebrained and out there they are. And as she's, you know, been the number one champion and, and supporter of, <laughs> of all of my, you know, things throughout my life. So um, I think that it was definitely met with, if anything, ex extreme eagerness to understand why I was ranting in, in the kitchen about, you know, this, this new technology that's going to disrupt banks and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> And so, you know, I, I, so, I mean, I, this all happened, uh, around 2014. So skipping past the sort of, you know, what, what is the, how are people buying drugs on the internet type of thing? I, it, it, when I really got into it in 2014, I came home over Christmas break from, from grad school. And I was like, mom, we got to watch this documentary, uh, the rise and rise of Bitcoin. It was filmed in Pittsburgh and it's about this you know, cryptocurrency that's going to change everything. And so she was just like, okay. And like, you know, at the time, I think it was a combination of both like genuine interest, but also like any, you know, I'm wearing my Pittsburgh shirt right now. Nobody can see that, but like <laughs> we have great pride in our hometown city. And so like, you know, I think that uh, it, there was definitely an interest of, in that regard. So we watched the documentary, which, uh, you know, was crazy to, to see the rapid evolution of the space at that point, because it was probably a, six months to a year after it was released. And it was already like anachronistic because of how quickly things were going with Bitcoin. So we watched the, that together and I was like, all right, I'll show you how to use this. And I just like had her download or get a paper wallet and I sent her $5, the equivalent of $5 in Bitcoin, which you know, at the time, I think it was trading around $160 or something like that. So if, she kept it, which I'm sure she did. It's probably appreciated in value exponentially at this point. But I think that it really caught her interest. At least I could see that there was an interest in like, not only the fact that there, there was this new thing, but that it, it seems that we could bond over it. And I think that that was really cool that she took such a shine to it. And now, I mean, I go to her for information know. about cryptocurrency. It's not the other way around, you know. I, I may have planted the seed, but there is absolutely no doubt about it that that my mom is is the authority in the in the, in the family <laughs> on cryptocurrency at this point. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Never underestimate your mom. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious about your master's thesis. Mm -hmm. What would you write that on specifically? So I, yeah, I mean, I. I I wrote it specifically on Bitcoin users because at the time, you know, that there, this was before altcoins really had jumped and made an imprint, you know, at least among non-enthusiasts, you know, there was like, so at the time I, I remember walking into the, my then advisor's office and probably did the same thing that I did whenever I was talking to my mom, where I just started ranting at her about, you know, like <laughs> cryptocurrency. And she was, she's an economic sociologist who studied housing markets and, and, and commerce and consumption and stuff. And so she was just like, okay, yeah, like there's been a ton of, it was like this kind of era of like, of course, there's been a ton of different attempts at alternative monies. Like what makes this different? And so I was just like, yeah, you just don't understand, you know, like now. So I, she's like, well, if you, why don't you do a project on this? And um, 
initially I wanted to try to survey people, but at the time it was so hard to get people involved. And um, it ended up being an interview project where I used uh, meetup, like meetup.com to try to like find Bitcoin users in the community here, you know, in the area of, I, I talked to some people, you know, across the country using different uh, video conferencing softwares, but also some people in the Arizona area and, and you know, across the country. Yeah, I got to keep everybody anonymous that participated, but yeah, it was, it was interesting because, you know, the, the whole purpose of the project was really like, what attracted you to this? Um, what do you see as the future? What are some of the issues? And, you know, to really understand at the time what the, what the driving motivation behind the community was. Um, and so I wrote this paper, this master's thesis. And when I went to start publishing it, I ran into the same type of issue where everybody was just like, so what, what is this, uh, what does this matter? What is this, you know, there's been all sorts of different types of attempts. And I found that, you know, it, it, I wasn't able to appreciate, I don't think at the time, just how nascent the community was, even though it was, you know, years since, you know, the, the Genesis block had been mined. So it was, you know, it, it was an interesting experience to write this master's thesis because at the time, I believed that it had become, it had come a lot further than it actually had. And I think that that's the story of cryptocurrency. It's just like, you know, we're still just scratching the surface of what this technology has to offer us. Um, and, you know, it's, but, you know, it seems like it evolved so quickly that, they, that everybody should just be aware of it already. So, <laughs> but awesome. It's hard to get your, it's hard to get your head wrapped around that, isn't it? I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you see something from your perspective and your knowledge base of it is incredibly large in comparison to 80 to 95% of the population, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we as cryptocurrency enthusiasts honestly know more than 90% of the population when it comes to blockchain technology, when it comes to, you know, cryptocurrencies and all the different projects and what it's like to be scammed on a minute basis. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've learned yeah. all of that yeah. stuff, right? So, I mean, we could spot a scam shit, probably 10 to 1 compared to somebody else. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's challenging to wrap your head around that. And it, that would have been a really interesting project to do, honestly. And, and like, to do it then, how many years ago was that? How, how recent was it? Well, I, you know, I collected the interviews in 2015 and 2016, and so it was prior to the, you know, the big run up in 2017. I think it was a situation where like the data actually didn't, or the interviews really became more interesting in a historical context. And that's what I think I found whenever I published this research, because it, I didn't really appreciate at the time how, how different people's views on crypto would be you know, prior to, you know, when it sort of mainstreamed a little bit there a couple of years ago. Um, and, and thinking about how Bitcoin was really trying to dig it, you know, the, the system itself was digging itself out of a PR nightmare, um, a variety of different challenges to its authenticity and its abilities to be uh, break into this sort of institutional space while there was this dedicated core group of people that were, you know, there to support it you right. know that, that there were a bunch of people that were like it doesn't matter what the price of the bit of bitcoin is because this technology speaks for itself 
and it will eventually become. And so being able to capture those types of narratives at the time and then like go back and look at them and be like, wow, like think about how it's framed today in, in, in the media and how people are talking about the different challenges facing the space. It's, it's radically different than even like, you know, four years now, ago. Now think about that, you know, going back, going back and talking to the people now that were more complacent towards cryptocurrencies then and to get their opinions now versus then that would be something to really look at, Absolutely. you know, and even the people that you talked to and interviewed then what their thoughts and, and, you know, pro mental processes are saying now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, and there's definitely a lot of opportunity and I know some people are doing work like that. Um, there's some people are doing some excellent computational work where they've been scraping forums and doing like, you know, a variety of different types of text analysis to try to sort of get an idea of the historical sentiment of this community, which is, kind of creep you know surveillance is kind of creepy all the time but it is interesting to think about the evolution of like you know the community is of, of its you know very stark uh crypto anarchist you know crypto libertarian type of beginnings and toward towards actual like genuine conflicts within the community about what the systems mean and what they represent and like who they're for and what they should be doing these you know that in my opinion is just the long hard slog towards legitimacy you know, I mean, what are your thoughts on the DeFi movement and crypto lending platforms? Well, I mean, like, I think that that's an important, I think that it's important to have lending. I mean, you know, the microfinance boom of, you know, the, the late nineties or like when people were talking about trying to empower different, you know, just disenfranchised countries and to be able to gain access to financial assets in areas where they are unbanked. I mean, that's still uh, an, an incredible social problem. And so I think that, you know, allowing for lending, especially, you know, if you can be done in a non-predatory fashion. That's going to be the hard part. I think there's going to be a lot of people taking advantage of that because it's so easy to do that with smart contracts. Right. You know, right. You know, you suddenly you're locked into a, 75% interest loan or some shit and you can't do anything because you interact with that contract and now your wallet's just draining itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's the catch 22, right. You know, having complete responsibility over your own assets yep. and, and not having institutional protections comes with the freedom to be able to control, but also, you know, you're kind of out there. Right? So <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the things about uh, taking on new technology, you know, you could say the same thing about the private key situation, right? You know, it's, it's more risky, but you inherit a certain risk in uh, taking ownership of your finance, which is really yeah. cool. So let's, let's talk about slips. Yeah, slips is cool. It's um, so, you know, I, I actually came to this project from another uh, crypto project that I, you know, have since not, you know, I'm not, I'm not involved with anymore. Um, and I, I really was like a little bit disillusioned as a result of that prior project just because it was a classic case of a, a developer gone crazy. You know what I mean? You know, and like, yeah, it happens all too often. <laughs> right. Exactly. But um, slips was, uh, you know, I, I, I got, I was really intrigued by this project because it, it actually had a working um, model for implementing, you know, this leak. So, you know, slips is the, for, uh, it, just a little overview is 
um, essentially an esports gaming model um, designed to create a league that allows for teams to be traded, um, ownership, um, provably fair payments and equitable transfers of, of prize money and things all through blockchain, using blockchain uh, to do so. So it's interesting because esports is a massive industry. I mean, I'm I'm not old by any means, and I'm certainly a little older than the generation of esports, which I had no idea that I would grow up and people would be more interested in watching video games than playing video games. You know, like watching other people play video games. So, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. So it's it's and it's exploding. I mean, esports is. I mean, a couple of universities now have esports complexes. I mean, it's totally be ta- being taken seriously, and it's a. Um, it's, you know, it's financially, you know, it's becoming more and more financially doable and, and exploding. So one of the re- things that Slips is trying to do is, um, you know, create some sort of more fair structure for esports uh, using Rocket League, which is uh, like a game that essentially, uh, it's kind of like hockey and soccer, but with cars that go really fast and you know like it's kind of a neat game i actually never played it before either until i got to i came exposed this project but yeah yeah so i mean um one of the issues is though is that a lot of contracts for esports players are you know exploitative to the people or the, the players or um you know they're just unfair or there's you know not a lot of there's not a lot of oversight on this on this community because of the fact that it's so new. So slips, you know, proposes essentially to have a league format where teams enter in, you can buy and trade and sell players using the tokens you know, this SLCC token, um, which will then, you know, also be used to uh, pay players for, you know, through prize tournaments. And it, it's pretty cool. It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting application of, blockchain technology that I actually, you know, after reading the, the white paper, I was like, this is not only doable, but it's actually solving a real world problem for a lot of people that are, you know, as this, in, you know, as this space grows, there's going to be more and more um, interest in trying to, you know, make it more equitable for the people playing. It's also another global community. So it fits right in with crypto. What kind of work are you doing for the project? Uh, I've done a lot of stuff. So, I mean, we're kind of bootstrapping this right now because it's, you know, it's, it's most, it's mostly volunteers because the airdrop hasn't right. occurred yet, um, but I've done everything. everything. Yeah. I mean, I've done everything from casting during, uh, during matches. I've, I've done voiceovers for advertisements. I've, uh, helped out behind the scenes where, yeah, I, it, the, the goal I think is to launch the league. Um, by the end of the year. So there's a lot of gearing up to sort of market the token and, and get it there. And um, the CEO was saying he's got a background with crypto as well. So I've been sort of acting as um, a consultant in some regards on trying to put together marketing. Um, but it's really been a cool project to be involved with. And it's, it's really fun because um, esports is something that I was new to. And I came to it from the crypto side. And there's a lot of people in the that are volunteering that are really into the esports, but they don't really understand the cryptocurrency. So there's a lot of good, you know, learning going on between a lot of parties, which is it's been fun. 
That's awesome. Maybe you can pull some strings and get a couple of noobs in on the first term and it'll be just a special uh, surprise. Oh yeah. We got these two guys playing. They've never done this before. Yeah. Good yeah. Luck. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Don't do yeah. That. No, don't do that. <laughs> oh, see. So tell us um, what your thoughts are on space travel. My thoughts are on space travel. Ooh. Yeah. Is it something that um, do you think is exciting? Is it something that you think is scary? Is it something that you think could benefit humanity? I think I think that it's kind of cool that there's like a re, there's a um, you know a reinvigoration of interest in space travel. I mean, you know, I I grew up in the era of thinking, you know, space travel and NASA and books and all this stuff. It was like kind of like it was really sad whenever they disbanded the space program like around. I think it was like 2008 or something that they said that we were going to take a step back and stop, you know, you know, take stock of what we're done and try to retool for the future. I think that it, it would be cool if someday space travel was uh, capable for the, for the average person to just, you know, go into orbit for a little bit and float around. That'd be awesome. Why do you ask? I was just curious if you, if you had, you know, cause I think it's pretty neat. Um, and I wanted to see if you had seen that video um from what was that spacex that took off professor yes i and watched seen, that live. did you see the yes. mouse on the ship? yes, so, yes. <laughs> where's that theory at what 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 <laughs> i need someone to explain that to me because i know what my thought process was i was like wait is 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 that a that's that's a fucking mouse are you kidding me <laughs> i mean i can understand a cockroach they live anywhere but a mouse Come on. <laughs> so, all right. Conspiracy or not real or not. What was that? I have no idea. Honestly. I mean, I, I, I'm happy to think about it as all possibilities are open. You know, it's, 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 you know, there's not, there's no definitive way that we can tell that it is or is, was, was not a mouse. So I'm like to keep it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, uh, you do some DJing for a local radio station. Is that true? I do. Yeah. That's, uh, that's my other hobby. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, it's fun. I, I, I've been DJing for probably I mean, seven years now. And so, um, yeah, it's a local community radio station out here, KXCI. We have a Friday night radio program from eight to 10 electric feel. Um, it's, uh, focuses primarily on like house and techno, but we go off in all sorts of weird directions. I played stuff you know 80s italo disco and like a lot of you know sometimes we just do fun stuff but it's four of us and we rotate in and out and it's a lot of fun love it that's awesome it's uh, how long have you been doing that for uh, I, I i've done it about so i i would have been i think it's about seven years now that, that I've oh, been wow. DJing. yeah nice nice do you guys stream anywhere else other than like on your station yeah, yeah, you can you can stream globally on kxci.org and uh, you can also get it on Radio Free America. And we we have I think we usually average around three or four thousand listeners every Friday night, which is pretty cool. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, like for a local community radio station, and we we've had people uh, message us from you know Afghanistan, like uh, you know we have soldiers that listen to us out there that are like you know. It'll be like the morning for them. And they'll be like, this is, you know, we put it on every Friday. It's kind of neat. Like I've never been a part of it. <laughs> uh, it. The program's been on for 10 years. So uh, I joined it two years ago. So I'm actually like, you know, 
in a long line of DJs that have been a part of this program. And it's, That's it's awesome. Been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's something to be fun. Of. I mean, it's something to have fun doing, you know, it sounds like you're, you're well occupied. You're, yeah. You're well, tired. I mean, you know, with this pandemic going on, you have to find something to do, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, my mom lives in, in Arizona and it didn't sound like you guys were as affected as everybody else. Is that a, is that a true statement? Um, I think initially, but actually right now we are one of the worst states in the country. We're, we're like fighting with Florida for really? who's going to have the most new cases every day. Yeah, I've been seeing all sorts of headlines about Arizona. Oh, It's wow. kind of a mess here right now, so we're trying to yeah. do our best to stay out of it. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's looking like we're about to head that way. I mean, we have a lot smaller population density than most places up here in Montana, so it won't be on as big of a scale, but we, we didn't have hardly any cases during the first round, and now that tourism is opened back up because we've got Yellowstone like two hours away from me and yeah, those numbers are going up real fast. So I have a feeling the the rest of the country is going to look pretty similar here. Not too long. So let's hope for the best. Cause I, w- I want this to, to calm down itself a little bit before Westwood 2020. Right. I mean, I'm going, there's no question going, about that. Shit. And if I got to wear a mask, I got to wear a mask. So be it. But, uh, and we'll take temperatures at the door. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll you do our, your I'm serious. Just thermal imaging on everybody. We'll do our <laughs> precautions, you know, we'll do our due diligence, but it's going to happen people. It's going to yeah. happen. We are not <laughs> going to like shut this down for fear. Yeah. So it's a big land area and it's a small amount of people. It's just, you know, a small exactly. invite only situation. So, but exactly. I can't wait until we can actually do the first real big open invite crypto campfire. Yes. Event. Yes. Cause that was supposed to be this summer and that's not going to happen, but next year 2021 i'm hoping 2021 is our year because it's time to have that big ass bonfire and just have a shitload of fun hell yeah definitely looking forward to that and maybe we can have biscuits biscuits and gravy and we can sell them for bitcoin because i understand alex purchased some biscuits and gravy with bitcoin quite a while ago <laughs> yeah. it's like the bitcoin pizza situation how how much is that bitcoin worth that you spent on the biscuit biscuits and don't gravy do now? it oh man don't Dude. do it <laughs> I think I think at one point I uh, yeah I saw it was like a seven bucks and at the time and then I looked back I think around 2017 or 2018 and it was like a three hundred and twenty five dollar purchase a uh, three hundred twenty five dollar <laughs> plate of biscuits and gravy right you know some days I would spend that much on a plate of biscuits and gravy that's true lie. you know especially after a hard night of drinking you know nothing, nothing <laughs> there, there might be no limits to how much you spend on that plate of biscuits no, and gravy. no. Nothing better than just a big pile of biscuits smothered in gravy and nothing else. Maybe some black coffee. You know, but. in today's economy, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me that it actually costs that much to buy a plate yeah. of biscuits and gravy. Oh, shit. That's another rabbit I mean, hole we sausage, could go down. Whoa, wait, pork sausage? Oh, yeah, shit. That, that shit's gold, man. I mean, you think Bitcoin's valuable? <laughs> Give me some pork sausage. <laughs> it's gold, so you're saying we should take the coating off and make sure they're not steel on the inside? Like China's gold, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, the, oh yeah, yeah. The gold the plated, lining, the gold plated yeah. precious Two metals. Two million <laughs> Yeah, God. I heard something about that. That's so, crazy. Do you, how how much of the rest of the gold reserves in the world do you think are bullshit? You think that was a one-off situation? Oh hell no, I don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, think about a hundred years ago. How easy it would have been to deceive somebody that your you know vault was full of real gold. You know, I don't know. I mean, even 50 years ago, you know, just it's, it's so possible. I mean, look at how many people are trading paper gold, digital gold, you know, it's, (laughs) it's just on paper and it, there's not even enough gold stores in the world to cover 
what's being traded. So how is, how is any of that reality? Right. Well, how about a crazy situation where we always, I mean, we know that fiat is constantly being devalued a little bit at a time. That's because they keep making it. We know this. Yeah. It's either through (laughs) inflation or through, you know, just totally economic, economic disasters in certain countries, stuff like that. But everybody's like, well, gold at least will maintain value as long as it's useful or people want it for some reason. But what if all of a sudden we start discovering that a lot of the major gold reserves in the world are actually bullshit. Number one, that's actually going to cause, you would think it would cause gold value to spike because that would mean scarcity is astronomically higher. But also, do you think we might see some psychological shit if that ever happened of a drop like you see with Bitcoin? Because now that you have the internet and communication and the ability for that news to transfer immediately, what does that FOMO happen in the gold market too? Oh, I'd almost guarantee it. Shouldn't say FOMO, but the opposite of FOMO. I mean, you asked about space travel earlier. That was the one thing that I always was interested in is like, you know, everybody thinks that gold is valuable, but if we end Until up getting- you find a massive asteroid, in space. Yeah. There's an asteroid full of gold and then you can just go mine it and it completely yeah. is devalued. You know, like, or vibranium. Right. <laughs> Could you I imagine? Mean, I was reading about a gold mine that's <laughs> like a, an hour from me and they, in 2016, they mined like, I think it was like 3,500 ounces of gold. It was a real small amount. I mean, it's a shitload of money worth, but it's just funny thinking about how big this mine is and how little material they actually pull out of it. Yeah. You know, it's crazy that we have a commodity that's so valuable that you don't even need that much to have this huge, massive mine with shitloads of money worth of equipment. It's kind of a crazy world we live in. <laughs> What's that trading call? It's not futures, but where you're, you're basically just buying and selling speculation. You're not even buying the actual options. Options. That's yeah. what it is. Thank you. You know, with, with options and futures trade actually on trading, on trading, right. On trading. It's like, uh, I don't know. I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. That's a deep, <laughs> deep, deep one. I don't think anybody really realizes how many layers of money making there is, you know, like everybody's making money on top of everybody else making money, like eight, 85,000 layers deep. It's crazy how far it goes. Yeah, it really is. All right. So let's, let's uh, take a weird turn here. Would you rather be unable to open any closed doors or unable to close any open ones? So, is there, so let me ask one question. Are you stuck essentially in a room with all closed doors then? That, that's basically the scenario you're talking about. So do you have complete freedom? That's a great point. This really do does have, dictate where your starting position like, are is. Are you stuck in one location forever or do you have infinite freedom? But you Let's have, put it this way. You're in a room and one door is open in that room and one door is closed. So you can get into the outside world where there's a variety of open and closed doors available to you. You're not stuck in one room for the entirety of your life, but there are rooms that you couldn't possibly go he in. He thought he was out of college for the doors. summer. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you got a take on this one. Yeah, maybe this will be his doctoral thesis. Top one. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I'd probably rather not be able to open other doors. I value privacy. I don't want yeah. people walking in on me. <laughs> I was wondering if that was where we were going to go with it. Cause yeah. <laughs> privacy is a big deal in the blockchain space, right, especially, right. but even in just life with the, the connected world that we live in, privacy is a massive factor. Right. But at the same time, what's behind that door? My curiosity would get the best of me. I think, I don't know. I think I could find a place to hide, you know, <laughs> if I could open doors, I think I could f- find a place to hide somewhere. It's probably true. Yeah. I would <laughs> probably I choose to be able to unopen 
or unable to close any open, open. <laughs> unable to close. That's a good way to make this question really confusing. <laughs> any open doors simply because I think you can always, it's kind of like burning a bridge, right? You know, once, once a door is open, the opportunities typically are astronomical, regardless of which direction they go. There's still opportunities to be had behind every closed door. And once you have that door open, you can choose whether or not to travel through it, right? So I think having the ability to, um, wait, <laughs> ability. I think it would be better <laughs> to be able to, <laughs> that's a tough one to turn around. It'd be it harder. Is. Not, never mind. Unable to close any open doors. That's, that's it. That's, that's, yeah. Okay. I'm a fan of loopholes. And so even though I asked the question, the question was a loophole itself. My God. Yeah, I'm debating whether or not I'm allowed to stack shit in front of doors. You ever see a spiral, you know, those things that just turn and make your eye go to the center. It's like that question. What the fuck? That's the problem. I, that's why I felt bad. Are we allowed to remove walls? As long as the door remains intact, I, I, I felt I mean, bad about asking a question off the back because I knew this was gonna like you know it's like all what kind of variables can you add to like right. create the right the right yeah, yeah. select the Do right I got choice. A sledgehammer? You know? so, yeah, <laughs> I'm a programmer, so like my <laughs> default is to think about every path and how I can figure out all my ways. Do I get to I have an X-ray camera that I can yeah. see through the walls before I? Yeah, I don't. I mean, but that's why I love these questions because it opens it up to all sorts of possibilities, and then we always end up talking about some random shit for a while, so it's perfect. Right. Random shit for a while. Hmm. <laughs> That's, that'll be the title of this podcast. Random, <laughs> Random shit for, for a while. It really should be. Damn. Uh, we've been all over the board on this one. That's for we sure. We have. We have. And I'm like. I feel like we need to have a round two so that we can pick like a, because we never pick a topic. We always just kind of just talk about topics a little bit of everything. boring though. I know that, but I feel like, so I, I'm super into NFTs and reading the white paper about slips there. There's some interesting things happening about tokenizing gamers, you yeah, know, as ERC yeah. 721s. And that's, I, I didn't even really get into it because this is like a whole hour long conversation on its own about what you can do with NFTs and the power that offers. So I think we need to have another one where we kind of talk about NFTs in that world a little bit too. So we'll no fucking later. trains. No trains. <laughs> no fucking trains. We ain't talking about no fucking trains. NFTs, whatever. <laughs> uh, oh, I get what you're going. I get you're going. I was uh, like, what? Yeah. Fucking trains. What are you even talking about? <laughs> so like, we, we should have. We should. We Christ. simply have an acronym podcast and talk about acronyms and come up with different words for the acronym. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Uh, oh shit so well, i can't think of anything else for nft so you know whatever so for the last question of the evening what where in the world would you like to go that you haven't been and what would you do when you got there where in the world would i like to go that i haven't been that's that's a toss-up between buenos aires because there's some excellent nightclubs that i've always wanted to check out there and Tokyo, just because I am really, I really would like to go to Japan and go on like a fish binge eating tour. Of, cool. Yeah, like a raw fish binge eating tour. And and the tech, I really am like fascinated with Tokyo as like a technologically advanced city. I think that it's like a really interesting, um, it's like a case study in how to like keep the foot on the pedal for like, you know, technological advancements and integrating them into urban city centers. So I think it's a, I, those are the two places that I'm, I'm, I would really. They're kind of one and the same when it comes to the techno nightclubs, though, aren't they? I mean, Tokyo's nightlife and Buenos Aires' nightlife. 
you would think yeah I think the technology that, I, there would be almost the same right yeah i mean definitely they're both they're both great like you know in terms of uh you know the 24-hour party culture type right <laughs> right exactly tokyo would be so sweet man there's just like you say there's just so many different things about it and the in America, we've got a lot of cool technologies that are prototypes or shit like that. You know, we've all seen the little bits and pieces, but n- most of it isn't actually in production and being used in places. And Tokyo is like the polar opposite of that. Like, yeah, yeah. everything they invent something and sh- boom, it's everywhere. Yeah, and there's like a yeah, there's a huge emphasis on like you know making things like not only like visibly beautiful with technology too, which is like really interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, just like the, the, the urban architect, or I'm sorry, the urban engineering of the city is right. really like, it's, it's just a definitely, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful city. I feel yeah. like you could you just, you, you could have an entire trip to Japan, just about one particular element. You could spend one, one day just wandering through Tokyo being fascinated by the architecture and the aesthetics of, of the city. And then you could spend another one just on the food and like, I don't know, I would have so much fun going to Japan. It's a huge, it's a really crypto friendly city too. That's yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> That'd be neat. That would definitely be neat. Alex, this has been awesome having you on the show. Thank you yeah, so much for joining again. us tonight. This has been this was, super fun. It was, it was a good time and definitely look forward to meeting you one day face to face. I mean, you know, it's, it's a small, small world actually. And uh, we're pretty well connected. So absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And right, it's not day. a matter of if, it's a matter of when. That's it. That's Precisely. it. That's pretty much life anyway. Eventually. Right on. Have yourself a great night, sir. It was again, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. Definitely. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Nice. That was fun. Yes. And now now I want to go to Tokyo right now. <laughs> I know, right? Like right now. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to bed. <laughs> like right now. Like no in a few minutes. <laughs> no, like Last week. Oh, a few minutes. Yeah, that's right. You got to have another beer first. Yeah, I'm finishing this one. <laughs> oh, this uh, is like fun. beers, I swear to God, anymore are like my sleeping medicine. Hey, whatever works. Yeah, right? I drink a beer and I'm like... better than actual sleep medicine, if we're honest. I mean, it's not great for you, but compared to the other shit that's in sleep medicine, right. like, yeah, yeah, it's way preferred. It's more healthy. Yeah, yeah. More healthier. Right, right. Got Definitely. my beer. Got my burr. Got my burr. And it's a light burr, so it don't be very light filling. Burr. Doesn't make you fat. <laughs> no, that's a good beer. But you can't see through it, and that's a problem. So no, I know. can see through it, and that, yeah, that's a little bit of a that's problem. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Clearly, I need another one. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> After the first one, it don't much matter anyway. It all goes down the same. <laughs> right? Sometimes uh, it comes back up the same. If you have uh, yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, too far. <laughs> so too far. the market. What do you think, man? We didn't get a chance to talk with Alex about that, but where, where do you think uh, fiat and crypto are going here in the near future? It looks like Bitcoin's going to be taking a little pullback. What's it at? I haven't. I literally haven't looked at the price in a week, which is weird because usually I at least see the price. I have no fucking idea what Bitcoin is. It's at been right hovering now. between nine and ninety-two hundred. Oh really? Yeah. Um, Dip well, down I mean, to like eighty nine hundred. Like we were gonna have when I last looked at the charts like two weeks ago, based on my totally expert opinion on Absolutely. trading, right? Because I know everything about trading. Fuck I'm yeah, a professional. But this is not financial advice. <laughs> I wouldn't want anybody to make a bunch of money off of my amazing suggestions here, right? But no, I just it just kind of seemed like it was probably going to come back a little bit to maybe 8,000, 8,500. Right. But this is off of like, well, 
those lines look like they're headed that direction, not any actual fucking real reason. So <laughs> I have no idea. It seems logical that it would pull back a little bit, maybe even like one of those spikes that we see and then a, a quick jump after that. So, I mean, who the hell knows? It might hit 6,000, 7,000, but in the long run, I'm not worried about it at all. I'm still confident in all-time high to somewhere between all-time high and 50,000 by the end of the year. Right on. And that's a, that's a broad range, but I'm, I'm still like edging on 50,000, I hope. Right. It's more hopium than anything, sure. but I can spread the hopium like anybody. Absolutely. Hopium. Hopium. $50,000 Bitcoin. Buy them but dips. Get to the coin flip ATM. Do your, yeah, yeah. I was, was going to say do your research and find what you want. But yeah, just fuck it. Do your research based on the seven or eight that are on coin flip. There you go. I mean, if they're on coin flip, they're good tokens. Yeah. Well, they're definitely vetted. For right? Part, for so. sure. For sure. No question about that. Um, Again, the lowest fees in the industry, just a bunch of great guys. Can't wait to see them at Westwood 2020. It's going to be a good time. And it's a hell of a lot of fun to dump some dirty fiat into a machine and receive Satoshis. Right? It really is. Nothing easier. Check it out, coinflip.tech. There's a map on there. You can punch in your location, figure out if there's an ATM near you, and then uh, head on over there, practice social distancing, but use the ATM. And uh, if you do it, post a video on Twitter and tag us you might have a chance to win some Satoshis. Hell yeah. Let's do it. All right, guys. Till next time, we hope you enjoyed the show. Have yourselves a great one. We will talk to you soon. Take it easy. Peace.